This is Doing Translational Research, a podcast from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research in the College of Human Ecology at Cornell University. Hello, this is Carl Pillemer. I'm the director of the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research, and I'm pleased to welcome you to another installment in our series of podcasts called Doing Translational Research. Uh, And my guest today is my colleague and friend, Dr. Marnie Thomas, who is the Director Emeritus of what we call in the Center the Military Projects Programs. She has uh, an extraordinarily wide range of previous experience and has focused her uh, applied research and evaluation on issues like the effects of deployment on military family functioning, the effects of home visitation on civilian and military communities, Uh, and implementation and impact of U.S. Army Family Program Services. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today are family issues and related issues that affect people in the military. Her background is in program evaluation and needs assessment. She's done a lot of consulting. And I also know that she has experience as an executive coach, of which I could probably benefit from, but that'll be for a later time. Uh, So welcome, Marnie, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, you know, um, the way that we like to begin this is just for you to talk a little bit about uh, the sort of broader area of research interests that you have. I know that you've been doing this for a long time, working with military families, but could you tell us a little bit about what a couple of the biggest questions are that you've focused on or major issues? I think the probably the biggest program questions that we've had, and maybe I might backtrack a little bit to say that the way we got into the first military projects was because we were leapfrogging off the original Child Protective Services Training Institute, which was a long-standing program in the center. And we got asked by one of our neighboring installations for DRUM, to come up and work with them on some protective issues and prevention issues in child abuse with their military police. And that was the very first experience we had in doing a project with the military, and it just snowballed from there. And about a year and a half later, when the Department of Defense wanted to engage land-grant universities to help them do a lot of different things for their family programs and to do research for them in program evaluation. They put out a call, we applied, and we got our first military projects grant in 1991. Mm. Most of the early work, as my colleague Brian Leidy had mentioned earlier, was in uh, working on prevention of child abuse, not so much program evaluation, but trying to understand what they were doing, who they were working with. Uh, The military population is a rather unique population, Um, very uh, culturally diverse, racially diverse, um, very mobile, which presents some interesting challenges in research and program evaluation. Mm. Uh, um, You know, I'm realizing as you're talking that you've been working in this area for at least 25 years. Um, Have you seen a lot of changes in you know, the content or quality of life of military families over that time period, or is it pretty much the same as when you began? I think that um, it's been both 
very similar and also big changes because of what happened to the heavy deployments in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. So that put an enormous amount of pressure on a military family, separations, worries about the service member being involved in very dangerous combat experiences, uh, risk of death, and then the problem of having people come home uh, with all kinds of uh, psychological issues, medical issues, uh, moral injury as issues, which has become a very interesting situation. There's always been shell shock and those kinds of problems if you go back well into the First World War, but uh, military seems to be very, very focused on trying to allay that because they like to help the families who are volunteer. Very few people volunteer for the military services, all the services, and uh, it's a very small proportion of the population, and there's a fair amount of resources that are put forward, but the resources go up and down depending on the crises mm-hmm. that are happening. Um, what did you say? What is the more? Did, did you say moral... Moral injury concerns. What does that mean? So one of the things that people talk about, and this has been sort of recent information uh, and thinking about, that a lot of people come home um, with maybe no physical injury, no observable physical injury, um, psychological stress or emotional stress. And a lot of it has to do with uh, survivor guilt or because they've been involved in situations where there's been civilians injured without intending to uh, injure them and or cause their death. And so this whole carrying this burden of moral injury is now something that the military is paying a lot of attention to in trying to devise treatment programs and to help people get counseling for the kind of concerns they have. Hmm, that's very interesting. And, and, uh, and I think that takes us to... So what you're going to be discussing here in the center, it, uh, what is the Healthy Base Initiative, or HBI, as we see Healthy to to? Base Initiative is a fascinating project. It is, um, there's a couple of very interesting things about it. One, it's about the, it's, was the Department of Defense's attempt to try to improve the physical health of the people that are in the services. That's not just the military people and their families, but also the civilian um, members who are in the military and working for the military contractors and civilian employees, government employees. And what they're focused on was reducing smoking, reducing obesity, and encouraging exercise. So you want healthy eating and more exercise and not using uh, various cigarette projects. Uh, products. So what was interesting is that they asked a group, groups of organizations to collaborate. So talk, it was a huge team effort. So land-grant colleges, Cornell, Penn State were involved, Johns Hopkins was involved, the Department of Defense, and their, all of their medical people were involved. There were some outside contractors who provided a lot of the infrastructure. All of those people came together and contributed different pieces to study evidence-based programs at 14 installations all across the world, although primarily in the U.S., and see if they could change behavior in eating, drinking, and smoking. 
What was so interesting from a, a research or program evaluation point of view uh, to those of us on the project were rarely do you have so many partners. So frequently when you do a program evaluation, you design the evaluation. You collect the process data. You collect whatever data. Then you collect the outcome data, and then you write a report, which means that you've got some contamination across that stream. In this project, someone else did the research on the evidence-based programs. They stepped aside. The next group sat down and came up with the design and evaluation, which did include the land grants, including Cornell. Another group was tasked with collecting the specified process data. And the last group collected the outcome data. And we had connections all the way through, but someone else implemented the program. So all we were doing was looking to see, were people aware of it? Did they participate? And what happened? Mm. Which is a, of an unusual mm. kind of program evaluation where you're, you, your hands aren't on every single piece, but you know about every single piece. Um, and overall, did you find positive results, or are we those not in yet? No, no, we have positive results. There was a final report. It has not been publicly released yet because, of course, it is the military. Mm-hmm. There's a chain of command that it has to go through to make sure that it's been scrubbed, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody found some interesting things, so all the groups that were tasked with the outcomes. And the most interesting thing, I think, from a program evaluation point of view, is you had 14 sites, you had different operators, you had the same programs, and people were all over the map in how effective the programs were at drawing people's awareness, uh, encouraging them to participate, and then, of course, being willing to follow up on an online survey to tell Cornell what, did, you know, what happened to you. What was your experience living at Fort such and such? What was your experience about the smoking program or the eating program? It was a fascinating project. Well, and actually that uh, leads right into my next question in a way. I know that you, more than many of the people that we've talked to, I think, have had experience conducting your research in real-world settings. So we often ask the people who come if they work with agencies, community organizations, governmental organizations, and and what that's like. You've spent a very long time working in military settings, which has its own special environment, what kind of issues have come up uh, in sort of research c- collaborator partnerships? Have you encountered any particular challenges working in this environment? And would you have any advice for other people doing this kind of work, how we can work better with c- community partners like the military, let's say? The, the one thing about working with the military is you do have to learn their language, and having some facility with their language is very helpful. Um, we had, were fortunate that several people on our project had grown up in the military or had, had military job experience, so we did have that to go with initially. It's not, it's not absolutely essential, but it does make your life a lot simpler to, to really understand what the structure is. 
the other uh, piece that I think is important is you can't do program evaluation or research evaluation on any military program or on any military installation without commitment from a lot of different people, like the command leadership has to agree that this is something they want their people to participate in. They have to agree that you can come and visit their base. Uh, Security issues have become much more of a problem since 9-11, although that was not ever an issue for this project or from any of the other projects that we've worked on. But you do have to, I would say the most important thing is you start out and making sure you've talked with all of your stakeholders. That's the key. And as you know, Bill Trochim's model of evaluation is uh, very much uh, in favor of that. Then you don't get any surprises at the end. You, you, you haven't collected data that you like and the family program director likes and uh, the, uh, the families like it and the people who work in the program like it. And the commander says, that's some very credible evidence. It's not what I'm looking for. So, you know, if you, don't, if you really want to have a success, you need to find out where that data is going and who's going to make a decision on it. And in almost all these cases, it's a question tied to resources. If people don't think your data is credible, resources are not going to flow to those programs. And I don't think that's any different whether it's the military or the civilian population. But it sounds like you found that there are some folks in the groups you work with and in these military groups who do appreciate the value of research and they're interested in in taking the findings and using them. Oh, yes. And I, that has been, I would say, the biggest change in the 25 years that I've worked with military populations is that the family program people were sort of interested in evaluation, but what they really were interested in was trying to get people to come to the program and take advantage of it. But as more and more emphasis uh, across, I think, society, military and civilian, saying, well, okay, that's fine, lots of people came, and they said they were very happy with your program, but did it make a difference? That kind of pressure really ratcheted up people's involvement. And one of the things we did in 1997, which was, I think, very helpful for us and hopefully for the military, they asked us to come and talk at a very large uh, conference on why do program evaluation and how do you do it and what's in it for you. And that, I think, was actually one of the reasons Cornell was asked to participate in a lot of the program evaluation that went on really starting in 97. It definitely boosted our credibility. So that's great. No, I think you're right. And we see it, I think, across the board that the buy-in of leadership, making sure that the stakeholders are part of it, and also that kind of uh, communication of the importance and the results. Um, Let me ask you, going from from the trees more to the forest, um, as you think about this area of uh, that, that you've been doing work in over sort of 25 years ago or, or, or so, um, are there some things that you would like uh, the general public to know based on everything you've done? Are there one or two things that if you had a microphone and you were talking to, quote, ordinary citizens, unquote, that you would like them to know based on the work you've done? Oh, wow, that's a tough question. Um, what would I like them to know? Or, or yeah, has there been kind of a takeaway in terms of this whole area of, you know, developing human beings within a military context and, and, and the kinds of issues families have? 
I think that things that the things that we've learned about how to effectively help military families would help any set of families because it's about helping individuals in a family system that fits inside of whatever community system, whether it's a military community or a civilian community. I think that those are the kinds of, and to me it goes back to the Bronfenbrenner notion of it's an embedded system and you can't just change individuals, you have to change the context. So that's, that's I think, the biggest thing. And what we saw was that the context was changing at the same time people were changing and outside influences were pretty dramatic. Well, I think that's why it's such a fascinating area. So a final question we like to ask people is thinking about all the work you've done in this area. Uh, if there were one real-world change you could make that's based on your research, if somebody gave you the ability to wave a magic wand and make a change that's based on the areas you've worked in, is there anything that comes to mind? Um, something that needs to be improved? or I think that... It, I think I have a rather modest proposal, although maybe others wouldn't think so. I think that continued emphasis on providing resources, not just to have programs, whether it's developing curriculum or working individually or treatment or prevention, is to somehow always include at least a few resources on how to evaluate that and do a continuous quality improvement. I mean, even now, with all the emphasis on how important it is to have data to support what you're doing, when the grants come out, the last thing they seem to think about is, is there any money to do adequate resource about adequate program evaluation? That That's the one thing I would change. And I know that's a question of either dividing up the money in a different way or adding a little bit to be sure that you're going to be able to use what you find. I, I have the same kind of astonishment when I see multi-million dollar service projects with no budget for evaluation. It's extraordinary. Well, Marnie, thank you very much um, for being with us. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank and, you. Great, great. And I've been talking with Dr. Marnie Thomas of the Military uh, Projects Program here at the Bronfenbrenner Center on this podcast of Doing Translational Research. For more information about translational research or the work of the Bronfenbrenner Center, please visit www.bctr.cornell.edu.